uh, we're going to continue on with a, a series of thinking about what God does in the life of a believer. And you'll see this in Paul's ministry as he goes through the New Testament missions uh, program as, as you'll get these themes over and over in, in the various New Testament books. But uh, you'll notice in the past we've been talking about uh, ineffective faith and fading faith and faith that's uh, really kind of weak and wobbly and then you move into a, a faith that's flourishing, faith that's really formidable and now we're coming to this place of understanding what it means to have a faith that is aligned faith. That's going to be a different focus. And I want to start with this, uh, with this question, are we all to believe in the same way? Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, Tim Staples was a guy that I found on the internet, and Tim is, was uh, a Southern Baptist a man who, as a boy, grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and he thought, I guess, as a Southern Baptist, and as most kids do, they grow up in the culture of the church, until he got out and he met some other Christians, and he became a Pentecostal believer, and uh, began to experience that denomination, like man, who, and in the Marines, he happened to meet a, a Catholic man who uh, really knew his Catholicism better than Tim knew his, his own understanding of, of Christianity. And they got into a, uh, various discussions as these things happen, whether on college campus or on basis. And so you end up talking late into the night. And so his good friend in the Marines began to uh, share with him about uh, the Catholic Church and just how, how that was really biblical. And it influenced him so much that uh, Tim, who was married, uh, went into seminary and became not a Catholic priest because he was married, but he became an apologist for the Catholic Church. And so he has a website about uh, uh, answering the, for answering, giving Catholics answers to questions. Well, the site that I looked at was the, his uh, broadcast on the Martin Luther. And his point was, Martin Luther is unbiblical. Uh, the, whole, the whole thing of the Reformation as Tim would say, has no merit at all in Scripture. And he had two arguments, and so his point was, one, Martin Luther was saying that you can only be saved by faith. Only by faith are you justified. And Tim says, no, that's not true. It's got to be works. And so you have to have faith plus your works because the idea that salvation is by grace is kind of, uh, it's not biblical. So would argue Tim Staples. But he would say that because nowhere in Scripture does it say you're justified by faith alone. And so his argument was based on a, a several texts that he would lift to support his argument. And as he did so, he would uh, categorically dismiss Martin Luther, the whole, the whole of Martin Luther because of this one viewpoint on his understanding of salvation. And the second thing was that the Protestant movement was unbiblical 
because the idea that the, church, that the word of God as the authority um, wasn't to be found in scripture as was the church was to be the authority. And so if you have a conflict against somebody, you are not to open the Bible and go deal with a conflict. His point was, if you have conflict, if you can't resolve it, you go to the church. And so the church is the authority. How do you deal with life and issues? Well, it got me to thinking, one, that often as Americans, as Westerners, as, as people who grow up in a denominational uh, cultures, we have a, a mindset, a, a set of glasses that is so 21st century that we forget to use the Mediterranean glasses of Christ. While I was going back there, we tend to forget and we look at things as they are and we see things as we are and we impose our thinking on the scriptures as we read. And that happens so often that it created conflict uh, as, it would, as Tim would say that, that he would argue that no, there's, it's just unbiblical. There were two Pentecostal pastors who were arguing with two Baptist pastors on a debate stage. And so the idea was, are you saved through baptism? And there the idea was, baptism saves you. No, baptism doesn't save you. You've got to be washed and dipped and dunked and baptized to be saved. If you have faith and you're not baptized, you're not saved. And so this debate between uh, these uh, these two pastors uh, and these two Baptist pastors uh, was just a conflictual uh, tension. It just, and then the moderator said to the two uh, Pentecostal Baptists, or two Pentecostal pastors, he said, would you consider these two Baptist pastors as brothers in Christ? And these two guys looked at each other and said, Nope, they're not brothers in Christ. And the Baptist, would you consider these two guys as brothers in Christ? They said, sure, we would consider them as brothers in Christ. Now the idea brings up this tension that, that you, you're gonna think about that when you have uh, people really promoting ideas that the Reformation was a mistake or the Catholic Church is a mistake. You've got something going on in, in our Western civilization and our understanding that people, when they challenge you, I was thinking that song, How Beautiful the Name of Jesus Is, and I thought the Mormons would sing that song with no problem because they would sing the name of Jesus, but would they be considered brothers? And so Jehovah Witnesses would talk about Jesus. So you've got all these conflictual approaches and so the question is really legitimate. Is there one way to believe? Or are we supposed to believe in the same way? And so it raises the question because this is the problem with the Thessalonians and the Galatians and the Colossians and the, and the uh, 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 Ephesians. And, and you go through the New Testament, you'll find all these tensions all over. Well, as you go through this, are we to believe in the same way? That question has an answer I want to get to today because we are in a situation where 
in America, the number one word I would use to describe American culture to my international friends is we are argumentative. We are very much polarized and we are argumentative. And the issue is if it's not politics, if it's vaccines, if it's masks, uh, we are, we're just not gonna lie down quietly because we understand that I've got my rights and I've got my opinions and I've got my interpretation. Did you see on the news when this Tennessee school board, uh, they're just talking about masks for Pete's sake. And out came this intensity of emotion and you wonder, where did that come from? You can leave freely, but we will find you and we know who you are. You will never be allowed to be in public again. Good night, what's going on? And it's usually just isolated in, in a few, but these guys were just on top of these teachers and these parents, you know, to stop, you know. But it was ugly, it was ugly. And so in the world, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Because in the world that's not connected with Jesus this way, they're gonna be fighting for their own lives. And so don't be surprised by the, the things that Jesus said because they, that's who they are. He was from above and they are from below. They don't have that mindset. But for you, Christian, Jesus says this of you. He says, they, they as he's praying to the Father, Jesus, he says, God, keep the believers, they are not of this world. Now that says something very clearly that we can all agree, if you are a believer, you do not belong to the world. And therefore that idea that Jesus is praying and that prayer for you and me that would be associated and identified with the way Christ enters into that world. He is in it, but he is not of it. And therefore, when you think about Christ's prayer, he is praying for you even today that you would not act like the world or think like the world, but you do not be conformed to the world, but you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Paul would say in Romans 12. And therefore, you are not of the world. And yet we act often as though we are. And when Kofi Annan, who's a United, former United Nations director, he would say, we have different religions, different languages, different colored skin, but we all belong to one human race. We all share the same basic values. Uh, no, no, sorry Kofi. We don't share the same basic values. And therefore, if we did, there would be harmony, but we don't. <clears throat> and therefore, you come across this phrase in Latin. And in Latin it says, in necessarias unitas, in dublas libertas, in omnibus caritas. And so, anybody know what that means? Okay, well, I'll, that's why I put it in English here. It says, uh, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, or in, in, in the non-essentials, uh, in diversity, there's liberty. But in all things, charity. 
And therefore, the idea is that we have an invitation to believe the essentials and the agreement on the very core essence what we do believe as Christian, what identifies us as Christians, then you begin to see that it's not just about unity, but it is about that harmony that we in the church learn how to get along. And that's over and over and over and over emphasized by Paul because Gentiles didn't know how to love well. And part of the problem is we cut off the Old Testament. When you have the Jewish 2,000-year record of a covenant community based on the promises of Abraham, and then you come to the New Testament and you have this Greek mindset coming in, and you have this anti-Semitism, you have cut off the Jewish contribution to the kingdom understanding. And therefore, you move into a different, a, a slanted view as the Gentiles would have. But every New Testament book, every, every single book that that Paul wrote to the churches, being Gentile dominated, had to be taught what it means to love in community. They didn't know how to do that. And therefore you see that over and over again that Paul would say, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Gentiles, that in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you all agree with one another. That this division, this tension, isn't supposed to be characteristic of who we are, but there should be no divisions among you. And yet they would say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Cephas, I'm, I'm of John MacArthur, I'm of uh, whoever. And so you have this pulpit personality cults that people would follow distinctively different people. And it happened back then, it still happens today. But I wanted to point out something, that when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and as for us as well, he said the job of the apostle, pastor, teacher, prophets, uh, evangelist, the job that God gave those guys and those gifts to the church for this reason. Notice this passage. To equip his people, you, me, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, look at that verse again, but I want to break it down for you, that this alignment of faith that Paul wants you to understand is that there are three different works going on here, three different operations that the Holy Spirit is trying to incorporate into your understanding and my understanding of what it means to be part of the church, part of the whole uh, organism of the kingdom of God. And so he says, first of all, it is to equip, to equip his people in some versions, uh, King James says, for the perfecting of the saints. Now, if you have that as the verb, you'll notice the perfecting would mean that there's some imperfect something going on that needs to be perfected. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be without stain, without blemish, spotless, whole, 100% holy, godly, it doesn't mean that in the Greek. What this means is this, 
that if you're going to equip and prepare, it's like going through school, and as you graduate through 12 years, you have adequately been prepared to enter into life, supposedly. That the adequacy of your knowledge is such that you could use what you know to make a living. It's like, it's like someone who's learning how to do brakes and changing the brake linings, and, the, and, <clears throat> and yet they've never done it, but after a number of times, after 10, hopefully after 10 times, they've learned how the thing works and they understand it. He has an adequate understanding of how to do the job. The word is adequacy, competency, and therefore Paul says, I want to equip you so that you're adequate, formidable, solid, strong, smart, to equip his people. Notice for what? What, What's the equipment for? What's the purpose? The purpose is for, now notice, and be careful, it's for the work of service. Now that means lots of things if you're going to be, depending on your culture and background, how you're going to interpret this. But it means that you shift from a self-serving self-absorbed, how can I get what I want out of this, to an other-centered serving spirit. The mindset that I am here, not just for me and my benefit, but for all of us, for all of you. And therefore, what I said last week is that if your spirit is being equipped by his spirit, and then this vertical relationship, this devotion, this obedience to faith is growing and increasing, then it's going to be demonstrated horizontally. If the spirit is touching your spirit, then who you are as a man, who you are as a woman, is completely filled by this. If your gas tank is empty, and you go to BP, and you fill it up with gas, do you need to go to the Shell station? No, because your gas tank is filled by BP. If God is filling you up, then you don't need to go to people to meet your needs. And therefore, like I met this woman uh, and her boyfriend that's going to school, she thinks she needs him and his love. But as I had dinner with him this week uh, in a Mexican restaurant, it was obvious to me that she had no idea that he, he was playing her and was going to go off to college in a couple of weeks. And he's going to go to a fraternity and he's going to be involved in the college life. <clears throat> she was just a blip on the radar. But not for her. She thought he was everything. And she's ready to move to another city, leaving her family and friends and everything, just to go be with him. Sometimes people think, I need this man, I need this woman, I need my spouse, I need somebody to meet my needs. But if God isn't meeting your deepest needs, then meeting your deepest needs becomes your God. And so this gal was just about ready to be duped and maybe, but the idea is that if I'm in a relationship for my needs, then I'm not going to be thinking about you. For the church, the work of service is to shift that focus, not on just trying to use people, because people are made to be loved. Things are made to be used. 
When you start loving things, you start using people. And she was being used. In the church, if your soul is complete by the Spirit of God, then you're free to give yourself and not be preoccupied, not be absorbed by what's going on because you're free to enter into those relationships. But the service, notice what that service is. Notice number three. It says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. And that means that if you as a Christian are growing in Christ, that you have an ability to give to the rest of the people in the body of Christ. It means flaws and all, warts and more, that you give yourself fully because you're under the grace of Christ for the purpose of entering into encouraging, strengthening, supporting, loving people who are still struggling. The alignment of this faith then has three goals. And I think you would agree, as Paul would say, notice the purpose. What's the target? The unity of the faith. Until we all reach, all means all, that we all have the same understanding of what that unity of being united, being baptized, being joined with Christ in his death and in his resurrection and the good news of forgiveness and the good news of adoption. It means that, as we would say in Japan, you have to belong to believe. And once you're connected in that relationship and you're unified, there's a harmony that takes place, a resting that takes place, the sense of, ah, I belong here. I, I, I live here. This is my people. This is where that God wants to put me to grow up. Unity. Second, the focus of that unity is not just that you come to church and go through the motions as a lot of churches do, but you have an intimacy with Christ that the focus of your growth is the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Does Jesus love you? Oh, sure. Does he delight in you? Oh, sure. Does he speak with you? Oh, sure. Does he walk? Yes, of course. In him, all the promises are yes. The more you get to know about Christ, the more you fall in love with him. The less you get to know about Christ, the more vulnerable you are to seek life elsewhere. But the idea that we become knowledgeable of who he is and what he does and how he works that was true in my life. And I noticed, growing up as a Christian, I, uh, not having a Christian background, I made that first decision, major decision in my life, coming down the stairways in the, in the dorm with a glove and softball, and meeting my Bible study leader, says, are you ready for Bible study tonight? No, I'm not going. He said, what's more important, the Bible or softball? And right there, I'm telling you, that was a major decision. To put Christ above softball was a change. I wouldn't have thought about that before. Three years later, it happened again with a different story. But I had been growing in Christ and growing in, this, growing in a number of ways. But then I went to Butler University. 
and that was the really big issue for me because in 1974, I met a man named Ken and his wife, Linda Klingman. They were talking about going to Caracas, Venezuela. And they were talking about what they're going to do in the college campuses in Caracas. And as he was closing his message, he, he said, I want you to pray for us. And I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray that we would, now get ready for this, become Venezuelans. That we would become nationalized and take up residency as Venezuelans and give up our American citizenship. Because we're not citizens. We're citizens of the kingdom first. American second. But our American citizenship is surrender to God. And I thought to myself, what? What? Quit being an American? Give up my American citizenship? It floored me to think they're giving up their citizenship. And he said, if Jesus is Lord, you'll give up everything. Well, that threw me. I had no idea. And that night, I walked on that campus for two hours. I'm thinking, God, what kind of God are you? You want me to give up my family? You want me to give up everything? And I thought, could I? Is that real? Is it, am I being misled? Am I being duped? And I, and I struggled with that. But I thought, well, you know, <clears throat> if God has a plan for me, as he has a plan for all of us, it's his plan. Could I trust him with that? I walked more on that campus that night and looked up in the stars and I thought, God could have made me Chinese, God could have made me Latin, God could have made me back in the 16th, he could have done anything. I thought, you know, it really isn't up to me. And I guess it really doesn't make a difference. If I just surrender everything, if I'm gonna grow, and that 1974, I said, Lord, Whatever you want to do with my life, you can do. Five years later, 1979, I went to Caracas. And I went to Bogota, thinking that the Lord was leading me to South America. I went there and I thought, <clears throat> met with the guys. And I thought, no. I knew after a while that something was just not right in my spirit. And I came back. And God opened the door to Japan. I'm telling you that if that faith had not been developed and nourished along the way, I could never handle that. As a young man, I was just thrown for a loop. But I was invited to see and know the Lord in a way that I never would have known unless I made that decision. The third thing that he says in that verse is that if you're gonna be growing in a group of people that's unified and you're gonna understand how good God is and how he can be trusted for anything, then you begin to think, well, he's gonna do a work inside me that matures my faith, matures your faith, and that's the goal, that you would have not just a faith, but that you would have a mature faith. Notice what that says, attaining to the whole measure 
of the fullness of the stature. It's like what Christ believed is what you can believe. And that's the norm, that's the, that's the protocol, is that the way Jesus would relate to God is the way that you can relate to God, and that's going to create all kinds of discussion and tension. Because is that really possible? That when Christ introduced me to the Father, that I would know God like Jesus knew God, and I would take that position? Yes, yes, yes. So the unity of the faith the knowledge of the Son of God, that mature faith would lead us into these three distinctives that should be marking every one of us across the board if you're in Christendom. That means you would have a life of harmony, that you would have a life of really understanding, that intimate being a partner of Christ, but that you're growing into a maturity, that the way you walk and live in the world would be the way Jesus would live and walk in the world. And therefore, you come into conflict the way Jesus would enter into conflict, with a wisdom, with a graciousness, with a respect, with the truth. But he would be engaging, not argumentative, engaging. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's true for you. The Father is in you and you are in the Father. May they also be in us so that the world, get this, so that the world, so that the world would believe because of your message, because of your reflection, because of you. And Jesus prayed, I have given them the glory which you gave me. Good night. To grow in glory, to grow in grace, to grow in that understanding that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Did you get that? So there is, a, there is something that we're supposed to agree on. And that is, as we become those people, then the world, then the world, then the world will know that you have sent me. Then the world will know that you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Therefore, for us to understand that this alignment of faith the surrendering to God's purposes means that you have a belief that you belong, that you have a blessing and a glory, that as you give yourself to, to him and to be incorporated in the body of Christ, there's a complete unity that settles in the community of God. Then the world will believe. Now we've been talking about this because this isn't true for everybody. It's just there's a lot of people who are still weak in their faith and wobbling in the faith and worldly in their faith. But understanding as we've gone through this, I'm taking you to the next stage. And the next stage is not just the ineffective faith, the, the initial faith, the infantile faith, and the increasing faith. Because at this point, there's, believers are all over the map. They are not equipped. They're not necessarily grounded. But when you come to that place of saying, okay, Lord, I surrender all. You're at a maturity level that not everybody gets to. It's rare. And these are the next three things. That you have an integrated faith, 
that there's something about Jesus and something about your understanding what faith is for, what faith is supposed to do, and that you just don't have a jeopardy answer. Do you believe in God? Yes, I have faith in God. It's more than information. It's not just a Google God and you've got the answer. It's like there's something about your walk with Christ when Christ would say, you are mine. And you say, yes, I am. Your identity becomes solid. You become a, a serene. You're still. You understand what worship means. But you understand the relevance of having that relationship that sets you free from the world. That sets you free from manipulating people. From sets you free from arguing. And sets you free to love. That integrated faith uh, moves into interactive faith as you continue to mature, as you, as you walk into that, that understanding that you have an involved, participatory, and active faith where that you're investing in the lives of others. This integrated faith. We know that in some, we know that in all Christians, Christ is present. We know that in some Christians, Christ is prominent. But in very few Christians, Christ is preeminent. Meaning that the maturity level is out there for those who want it and who are going to grow. But integrated faith knows that we are living in a broken world. We are living in a fallen world. We're living in a world that doesn't work and therefore that doesn't love. Doesn't have faith and without faith you can't have hope and without hope you can't have love. And therefore there's going to be tribulation. If there's brokenness, a mature person knows how to enter into the brokenness to listen. The mature person knows that we need God's help to redeem and restore those who have no faith, those who have no hope, those who have no love. But it means this, that if you are broken, you know how God works in your life you're not worried about changing the outside. You're worried about changing the inside. And so walking with God changes you from the inside out. And as you tell your story, you understand the heart and the mind of Christ. And as you listen to those things, as you understand what Christ is speaking to you so that you can grow, then you, then you become aware of a relationship that there's the Holy Spirit that's prompting you, guiding you, leading you, giving you an experience, and then you begin to realize how secure, how free, how gracious you are because you're reflecting Christ. Because you know Christ in such a way that you know that God is at work, that God is at work using all things, work, neighborhood, accidents, trees on garages, name it. He's using all things for the good. God is out for my best interest and yours, who've been called according to his purpose. And for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Are we to believe in the same way? Oh, sure. 
If the essence of your faith is conforming to Christ, then you're going to have an integrated faith. Then you're going to understand Christ in all things. And therefore, as you seek first the kingdom of God, then all of these things become a reality for you. Only if you have a nourished faith. If your faith is not nourished, you'll be over here wobbling, arguing, confused, tension, but if the, in the essentials, if you're aligned with Christ, then something's different about you because you can walk in a fallen world just like Christ. And wherever Christ went, he would touch people, heal people, draw them to himself, and that's what he does for you. And as we mature in Christ and we grow up to that stature, we have a different way of thinking because here at CBC, at Cheston and Baptist, we sing things like, he's beautiful, he's powerful. There's no one else I'd want to be with. And he knows my name. Therefore, how do you get that integrated faith? It says God equips the church through those given in the pews and in the gifts and the pastor and the teachers so that we all build each other up. That's the next stage that the Thessalonians are gonna go through. You'll see that when we get back. But I just wanna give you this idea that there's a movement. And so don't get upset when people don't agree with you. But for those who are growing strong in Christ, be forbearing. Be patient. Listen, listen. Love, love. Learn, learn. And then as you help people take the next step, then you begin to see, like Tim Staples was influenced by his friend. Tim didn't have a strong understanding of what he understood, but what he needed was that friend, just like you need that friend to be able to influence, uh, that relationship to influence others. So it's not so much... It is what you believe and why you believe it, but it's more about who you are and how you enter into relationships that Christ is interested, changing you from the inside out. If you align your faith with the purposes of God, you'll grow in unity, you'll grow in intimacy, and you'll grow in maturity in your ability to love. Isn't that great? I want to be, I want to be more. I want, I'm 68 and I can't stop growing. So. so there's more for us. At this point, let's close in a word of prayer and ask God to lead us. Father, again, uh, this is not for babies. Uh, this is not for the mature. Uh, this is what you want us to know, that there are people in the world who are servants, who love you and want to be available to other people. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace and the glory to align our hearts with yours so that we would not be like the world, we would not be afraid of engagement, but that we would enter in because of the change that you make from us, for us, inside out. And for that, we give you all the praise and the glory. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, for your glory we pray. And our growth. Amen. Amen.